The last duel, which is tough because Will Ash and I didn't even see the first duel. I missed it. If there was, was, if there was a second and a, third duel, I didn't know about it. Are, are you counting the first duel, the um, the Steven Spielberg movie? Like yes, the, very the trucks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, And, the, and then there's there what, the one duelists. Truck, actually. The duelists, um, which was Ridley Scott's yeah. first film. Yes. Well, that's yeah. what I was wondering. If, I didn't know which one you considered the first duel. I wonder, too, if he's like Ridley Scott. He's like, all right, well, my first movie was the duelists. And then this movie's called The Last Duel. He's like trolling us a little bit. It's like, it's my last movie. And then he's like, just kidding. House of Gucci comes out. House of Gucci. Yeah. <laughs> so he puts he puts on an Italian affectation. It's just like, hey, mama mia, spicy meatball. It's, yeah, yeah it's, British Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Just brings on. <laughs> that when I think of Ridley Scott, yeah, I'm like, ah, that goofball. <laughs> yeah. Always doing impressions. Up the Matrix. <laughs> uh, we like Ridley Scott in this on this podcast. That's for well, of sure. Of course, yeah. You know, we, I mean, yeah, yeah, we talked about his movies. We talked about Alien Covenant. We talked about All the Money in the World back in 2017. Those are the two movies that have come out since we started Cinemaholics, right? Before that, we had The Martian. That was his last, like, big deal movie. That was, like, the last movie he did, I think, that had, like, cultural impact. Because, like, Alien Covenant, All the Money in the World, like, the only pop culture impact I think we got from that was the... Like people talking about how they did the West Virginia song too much in movies for that one year. And then also like Christopher Plummer, like the whole meme of him playing like different characters. Like that, that's it, right. right? Like, is there any, you yeah. know, but Martian, people love that movie. I yeah, Martian it. was good. Yeah, Martian was a good film. Yeah, no, I mean, I was thinking about that as I was watching the movie. Is that like when I first heard about the project, I was kind of like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess this seems like something up Ridley Scott's alley, but. Yeah, the more I think about it, like, yeah, he, his first movie is The Duelist. Then, like, throughout his filmography, um, you know, obviously Gladiator is, like, one of his most famous films. But even going back to, like, two of his most well-acclaimed films, you got, like, Alien and Thelma and Louise. Like, those films are very prominent rape culture subtext films. Um, and, you know, like, this is a theme that's yeah. kind of permeated throughout his career. And it kind of feels like Last Duel. And, and I don't, in a way, I don't think it was intentional, but... I think if you're going to evaluate his filmography, this kind of feels like an alchemation of a lot of his, you know, prevalent themes throughout, you know, this, you know, 30 or 40 year career. Yeah. And I mean, Ridley Scott, he's a, he's a director who's made more hits than misses, in my opinion, but only by a thin margin. <laughs> like, he's made some crappers. But I would say, you know, Alien, it's his first movie that I think put him on the map. You know, The Duelist was like a tryout. It was kind of like we mentioned Spielberg. It was like Spielberg's duel. It was like, yeah, this guy has the chops. He can do something that led to Steven Spielberg doing Jaws. Right. You know? And the duelists led Ridley Scott to doing Alien. You know, around the time that you know that they were going to be doing the, the Dune movie, you know, and all that stuff. But, no, he makes Alien and he basically creates space horror. <laughs> you know? Like, he, he right. creates a movie that defines sci-fi horror for decades like we're still dealing with alien and people right. trying to rip off alien to this day yeah. not that he wrote the film but yeah no i mean kind of ironic given that like you know it's only a few years after halloween you know kind of similar does yeah know, a year after halloween right. 79 yeah. oh yeah yeah yeah, that's right yeah and then he makes blade runner which low-key great movie hard to sit through like we could just say it like it's well it's not I mean, the, the easiest 
Yeah, the director's cut's much better. But like, sorry, ultimate cut, ultimate cut, whatever you call it. I'd say Blade Runner. It's an acquired taste. It's a kind of movie you watch, and you sort of have to like. If you watch it with somebody, you sort of have to give them a few caveats at the beginning, and you're like, just trust me. The tears speech at the end is going to blow your mind, and like, you you know what I mean. So he makes he makes some two like two terrific two terrific films. Right. Thelma Louise is good. He makes a bunch of others in between, but the next movie he does that I think arguably blows the world away, like takes people, like just knocks their socks off is Gladiator. Come on. It's Gladiator. Year 2000. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? It's the most, it, it's one of the in, most influential films of the era. I think some people would consider it his best film. You know, people, people kind of dance around really? Alien, Blade Runner, and Gladiator, and Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah. You don't I think really so? like Kingdom of Heaven. Um, but I, I mean, sure. well, I don't know. I mean, people really do like Thumb and Louise. I think you're underselling that film a little bit. But Well, I'm talking more about like not just critics, but like I don't think like the average moviegoer loves Thumb and Louise oh, as much. Like they do, they like it. No, I think they do. I think they do. I think you're underselling it. We'd have to have a whole thing about it, I suppose. I mean, it's been a long time since I saw it. That's a 91 movie. That's so long ago. And I mean, that ending for Thelma and Louise alone is so influential. and so Very influential, pop, yes. Pop culture and all that, yeah. Big movie for Susan Sarandon, for sure. I guess, I, for me, though, like, I, I don't know. There's not much comparison. It's like comparing Thelma and Louise to Gladiator is a little well, that's bit... What, that goes back to my earlier point. I think there is, like, I think Last Duel is kind of that median, right? Yeah, like, you know, like the... the you know, the plot of Thelma Louise kicks off because mm. Louise prevents like a rape oh, attack. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, then, no, you're you right know, on, right on. Yeah, but you know, I mean, like it, it kind of feels like in a weird way, Last Duel sort of is like, it like, kind of picks all these different things from Ridley Scott's filmography and in a way that I don't think was intentional, but is interesting to talk about. I, I No, I totally agree with that. And, you know, he's made good movies since. I mean, Black Hawk Down. You know, and then Kingdom of Heaven. I, th- I think Kingdom of Heaven and Martian are like the two movies. Yeah. I, I know people like American Gangster. That was never my favorite. Oh, I movie. like American Gangster. That's a good film. Yeah, I, it's not my favorite. Like I, I don't know. Like it's it's a really good Denzel Washington performance, but it's not one that I guess it just didn't really stick with me for some reason. Sure. But you know, maybe it was the time that I saw it. You know, I mean, a lot of people like uh, Matchstick Men. Um, Matchstick Men, good movie. Yeah, underrated. Uh, underrated for sure, or at least like underwatched. Um. Alien Covenant is definitely gaining a cult following. I'm a it fan is, of it. Which okay, um, uh, Prometheus has its you know little fan club, I guess. Robin Hood, nobody cares. Obviously, yeah, no one cares about Robin. Hood. Body of Lies, I still don't understand what was going on. Oh, I fell asleep during Body of Lies. I, I almost did. I had to like force myself to stay awake during that. I mean, what an embarrassment uh, for DiCaprio and Russell Crowe. And, and, and Exodus, Gods and Kings. I never saw that one. I saw that. I barely remember it. Man, I that movie is the, such a blip. I remember the whitewashing controversy. That's the only yeah. thing I remember about the film. Which is funny because I saw some people comparing how Ridley Scott, when he makes Exodus, Gods and Kings, obviously a movie that is supposed to be depicting, you know, Israelites you know, and Egyptians, and he's using white actors, and... He's sort of being like, well, yeah, I, I can't just cast people, you know, this movie won't make money unless I cast really big actors. And then he makes the last duel with big actors, Adam Driver, Matt freaking Damon, and Jodie Comer. Comer. Yeah. Comer, yeah. And last duel is like one of the biggest box office flops in years. Well, <laughs> like, I think that's yeah. a, a Disney problem. 
more than a Ridley Scott problem. Searchlight. Like, oh, sorry. Well, well, Disney, Disney. We should yeah. say yeah. Searchlight, which was Fox, which is now Disney, and it's all that stuff. It's 20th Century Studios or whatever you want to call it. So, because that's that's been Ridley Scott. He bounces around between studios. He's done a lot. With everybody, I, I think he's done a bunch with Warner Brothers. He's done a few with Universal. I know he's done a lot though with 20th Century Fox. He, he, you know, Alien was Fox, and Gladiator was Universal. That was Universal. Um, I, I think you're right. Check. No, no, yeah, I think you are right. But Kingdom yeah. of Heaven. I know Kingdom of Heaven was was Fox. So like, you know, he's all over the place. But the Martian, which is where he and Matt Damon kind of connected. And which is why we have Matt Damon in the last duel. That is Fox. And, you know, there you go. I think, I think that, he's yeah. worked with Fox for like at least the last decade or so. Uh, yeah, because you did the counselor with Fox too. I was going to bring Prometheus. up the counselor. I wanted to talk to you about the counselor. Why? <laughs> I, don't, I mean, it's a lot of people will swear by it. I, I only see really? it the one time and I was kind of confused. And I was just like, I, I don't know where I landed on that one. Like I, I'm kind of, I, for me, that's like a question mark movie. Great just cast. Like, I, I mean, yeah. Cormac McCarthy <laughs> script. Oh yeah. He did do the script for that. Yeah. Didn't he? His oh, only original script. He just like dropped it off at Hollywood. Just like, Oh, Hey, I wrote this thing. If you're interested. Yeah. I mean, it's it's this, like, huge bidding war. Yeah. For people who don't know, like this guy, <laughs> Cormac McCarthy, <laughs> uh, novelist, obviously, um, people, people know him for like the road. I think that's like the big. That's for me is like I'd give the no, man a lot of respect for the road. And well, I uh, mean, are you talking in terms of his novels? I mean, on the road's his most famous, but his film wise, not on the road, but the road because on the road is Jack Kerouac. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. The road yeah. is yeah, yeah. Because that one like did not like book. a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, it did. But I mean, the the most famous thing I think now is No Country for Old Men. Yes, inspired about to mention. Yeah, name. yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, and uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's amazing this guy hasn't done more screenplays, but that's a that's a conversation for another day. You like the counselor, right? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Like I oh, said, okay. <laughs> that's it's what, a giant that the, question mark for me. Okay, it's like, that was I the vibe I was getting. I was like, are we going to have like an argument about the counselor? Like, no, I I don't know. I want to revisit. I've only seen it the one uh, time, and I just remember when I saw it. I was in college. And I was just like, I. It's been so long. Was was that good? Was that bad? No, it was not good. Will I mean I I would rewatch it. Maybe I'd be proven wrong, but that was one of the that was a movie that came out too. You know, like that's 2013, I think. And I I remember that was that was a time in my life. I was young and I was naive, and I was like, man, you have Javier Bardem in this. You have Brad Pitt. You have oh, I love all these actors. How could a movie with these actors be bad? And then I watched it. And funny enough, it was around the time that Cloud Atlas came out. So that was a very informative time for me. Mm. But anyway. Cloud Atlas, good film. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah. Are you so, disagreeing? That's another conversation for another day. Uh, my opinion of Cloud Atlas changes every year. I'm not, right, well, I'm not even lying to you. I, I never a, know what to make of that movie. But anyway. All right. Put a pin on that. We'll talk about that during <laughs> Matrix Resurrections, I guess. And We're uh, like 20 minutes into yeah. this. We haven't even talked about The Last Duel. But the last thing I'll say about Ridley Scott is The Martian. Big deal movie. It's like his big deal. It's like every decade has a big deal movie for this guy. And The Last Duel is not it. You know? it's not yeah. going to be it. And I think House of Gucci, maybe it'll have more luck. That's going to be, that's universal, I think. So is it oh, okay? universal? And I think MGM or United Artists as well. Yeah, I remember MGM. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's both of them like co-distributing, but no last duel 
should like this should be the Ridley Scott movie that brings him back to like pop culture zeitgeist. I agree. Right? Because yeah. it has all of the the trademarks of a Ridley Scott movie that we want to see, that people want to see. It's got Kingdom of Heaven. It's got mm-hmm. Thelma and Louise. It's yeah. got Gladiator. It's Ridley Scott doing what we what he what we know he does best, which is capture historical setting, and, make uh, it epic, and don't yeah. make us think about how historically inaccurate it is the entire time. Right. right? And don't forget the, the duelist as well, obviously. Yes. But I feel like I feel like the duelist is not as popular or as well known a movie, right? I mean, if I it guess. is, I'm not aware. Well, I mean two friends that duel each other, I think that's Well know. the similarity I'm I'm trying to like bring it down though to like his most influential films. Like when people okay, think yeah, of Ridley sure. Scott, you know, they think of Gladiator, right. they think of Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, I get you. Right? The last duel stars Matt Damon as we mentioned. Who is this guy? You know, I, when I was just doing my home. review for this, I was sort of like, <laughs> wait, what? I thought you're just like, just some guy. Just, some, like, just some hunk. Yeah, just yeah. some hunk. <laughs> this movie takes place in France. He's uh, an, this is based on a true story. We got to say based on the 2004 novel by Eric Jasper. And it's the last legally sanctioned duel in France. This is during the 1380, 1386. So 14th century. And this is like the, like, the middle of the bubonic plague like the context for this is that people are dying left and right from a plague and people are strapped for cash and we have this matt damon character mm. who you know this movie is split up in three parts uh yes. it's rashomon Very, uh, yeah, basically rashomon, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so rashomon kurosawa you know this idea of like telling the same story of a rape but like from three different perspectives but it's not just the rape it's telling the story of like these three guys or sorry, no, these two guys and one woman who each of them has a story that spans about 16 years and you see it from different perspectives. Matt Damon's is the first one. He plays this guy, uh, Carouge, LaRouge, something around that. Uh, we know Jean, I know that his name is Jean and uh, he is like a stereotypical he's like the main character from Robin Hood he's not Robin Hood but he's like he's kind of how that character was portrayed in Ridley Scott's Robin Hood movie from 2010 where he's just sort of he's a hero he fights the bad guys he's kind of just like I do things for the good of it he's very traditional old fashioned so we watch the first part of this movie from his perspective and the second part of the movie is from Adam Driver's perspective. So Adam Driver, one of the most exciting actors in Hollywood, I would say. I think you would agree. That marriage story. Yeah. You love that big movie. Big fan of his. I yeah. think he's very talented. I'm a big fan as well. I mean, Adam and a Driver. a fan of his since Girls. We're not as big ago. of fans of Adam Driver as John Oliver is, but that's okay. And a few people are. Uh, I don't and, know what that's a reference to, but... Oh, yeah, we don't have to get into it. But anyway. Okay. Adam Driver kind of plays his bestie you know they're best friends super good buddies but they're different right so like matt matt damon's john inherited certain things he's sort of he he's a warrior kind of guy he's got a mullet haircut he's really buff he's really tough and he fights people kills them but his his whole motivation in life is pride honor he feels like he inherited everything so he has to prove himself all the more 
Adam Driver is a different guy. He is a suave, dashing, roguish kind of person who had very humble beginnings. He didn't inherit anything. He had to earn everything. But not just through fighting. He earned a lot of his prowess, his power, through his connections. He's very good at networking. He's like a PR guy almost. He is a guy who strikes up a very deliberate friendship with a count played by Ben Affleck. And that brings us to the next big thing about this movie is that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon did a screenplay for the first time since Goodwill Hunting back in 1997. Yes, their Oscar winning screenplay. Oscar winning screenplay, Goodwill Hunting. Great movie. One of my favorite films of the late 90s. And yeah. they're back. The boys are back. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Back but they're not friends in this movie, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, so there's this whole rivalry that happens between them. They, they basically they want an excuse to fight each other. They just want to fight. They want to get into it uh, because they don't respect each other. They have like sort of a storied history of like they're friends in one one point and they're not friends in another point because one person did this and one person did that. And then along the way, Adam Driver's character, Jacques, he's like, man, yeah, Matt Damon's wife. She could get it. She is. She is very, very beautiful. And I deserve to be with somebody. She deserves better than Matt Damon's Jacques, the sort of oaf with a mullet. She deserves a sophisticated man who knows Latin like me. And so he decides that he should be with her. And it culminates in a very horrific and graphic rape scene that happens in this movie. And we're giving that away because it's the, the story. You know, it's not, it's not a spoiler, I don't think. I mean, it's... Well, I mean, it's revealed in the beginning of the, it the is. first act. Yeah. It is. It's revealed very, very early on. But the point is that we get the this situation, this horrible thing that he commits from his perspective in the second part of the movie and then from her perspective in the third part of the movie. The third part of the movie is devoted to Jodie Comer. British actress, to me, like we saw her in Free Guy. To me, one of the like up and coming actors right now. I, I think that she is on a trajectory because I just watched her in a movie where she's up against Matt Damon and Adam Driver, and she almost embarrassed them, in my opinion. Because I like, I really like Matt Damon and Adam Driver. I think they're great actors, and I think they're good in this movie. I think Jodie Comer made them look like idiots. Like not idiots, that's pretty harsh. But like, I think she kind of upstaged them. I mean, and that is to be no fair, small feat. I mean, to be fair, I think Matt Damon and uh, Am Driver are supposed to be idiots in this film. But I get you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not really what I mean. But yeah, yeah, you're totally. But that's the thing. It's like she comes out of this movie, and like this, she has the hardest role in this movie, easily, because the writing around this movie makes it so difficult for her character to make a lot of sense. She has to be a holistic human being between three different perspectives. Two perspectives around two guys who do not understand her and then her own. And she makes something that could have felt stilted and weird and sort of like, ah, this person doesn't feel like they're the same. She makes it all feel complete. Like this is a performance. Like if she does not get a nomination for either best actress or best supporting, I will like, Throw my hands up. It's like, what else do you people want? 
Like this is a tremendous performance from her. And it's, it's a big reason why I think this movie is much better by my estimation than it would have been otherwise. But uh, what do you, what do you think of the last duel? Because I, I, we didn't touch around the story that much, but yeah, the two guys, they fight other women, they have a duel. Rashomon, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I agree that uh, Jodie Comer is uh, quite good. I don't know if she'll get nominated only because I imagine that this movie is going to be overlooked come award season just because i think they're gonna uh put all their eggs into the house gucci basket even though my prediction at the moment and maybe i'll be wrong i think this movie is going to be better than house of gucci but we'll find out in a month or so i guess um just i don't know i'm not i'm not getting good vibes from the trailer for that film but i haven't seen it uh, but also an adam driver movie i mean adam driver and ridley scott like i would that's a weird position to be in right now I guess yeah, that's that is weird. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, he's probably fine. It's just like, well, one of these, one of these two are probably going to work yeah. out for me. Maybe get against the uh, wall for him. Yeah, I mean, I think he likes to take risk. I mean, look at like Annette and all that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think my main interest became uh, when I when I found obviously that it was going to be the screenwriting reunion of ben affleck and uh matt damon i realized you were talking i missed my chance to do my letterbox review and say project green knight and i'm kicking myself for that but that's <laughs> oh my neither gosh. here nor there by the way there's a third screenwriter and i forgot yes, to mention nicole, her nicole, nicole Holson. Uh, yeah yeah so she does the third part of the movie covering judy comer's performance and it's a great idea because they're sort of like well you know what if you're gonna do a part of this movie from the woman's perspective put a woman screenwriter behind it, you're going to probably get much better results. Honestly, yeah. I mean, not a guarantee, but it certainly does not hurt. And no, uh, she's I, I obviously think, an acclaimed yeah. screenwriter right. in her own right, for sure. Uh, uh, yeah. Can you ever forgive me? Is her big applaud? Um, yeah, I mean, she wrote that one, right? She didn't. Uh, she did. Direct. No, we're just right, talking. Yeah. yeah, we're just talking about screenplays. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think. You know, say what you will about them as as actors or people, but I think as uh, producers and screenwriters, I think Matt Damon and Ben Affleck have kept the careers that they have because I think they're very smart and I think they know what goes into good filmmaking. And I think a film like this is certainly benefited from their influence. And like I said, I think also it's influenced by um, uh, Ridley Scott, you know, knowing this type of genre backwards and forwards at this point. Um, I sometimes kind of feel, and I'm wondering if you're going to agree that some of his like blockbuster tendencies kind of take away from what I feel should be a more intimate story, um, at least in some key scenes. But at the same time, I think like the action scenes in this are effectively pretty brutal and violent, especially when we get to the titular last duel. I think it's uh, pretty gripping and, uh, uh, you know, enthralling because Ridley Scott is so good at this type of medieval um, thrashing and dashing and all that. But um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, I don't think the the Rashomon approach is especially novel because we've seen it done in Rashomon, obviously. But at the same time, I think this is a movie about like examining the different levels of power. And I think it does in some, you know, expected ways, but also in some kind of subtle and even more thoughtful ways than I was anticipating. Uh, and I found myself uh, not pleasantly surprised, I guess, but definitely uh surprised by how much i was able to be engaged with it considering i'm not a super big fan of mythology or not mythology uh medieval sort of dramas such as these but i think just the characters are pretty well defined and i think the the intricacies of their individual stories it 
it follows a formula, but I think they for, they follow that formula well, and it produces a a good bit of adult oriented blockbuster filmmaking. It's interesting, you yeah, that you call it a blockbuster, right? Because I I, I didn't come not? out of this movie being like, man, this is a blockbuster. I, I guess I I saw it as like a a larger than life sort of epic picture for sure, but. Yeah, I'd have to wrap my head around that a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's funny because the Rashomon comparison is so obvious. I mean, you watch the movie and you're just like, yeah, because Rashomon itself is about a rape. It's about a rape told through the perspective of several different people, in fact. And what I love about Rashomon is that it's sort of about how it's so difficult to parse the truth because perspective and memory is so hazy. Like it's about the fact that like objective truth is something that exists but people just can't obtain. We don't have the power, you know, to really get the full truth of any single thing. And it's a helpful reminder in that respect because of how it sort of like educates on the the human condition. And so Rashomon is doing that over here. The last duel is doing something very different. It's using the same mechanism but to say something very different, it's trying to say, like, actually, yeah, you know what? There are some perspectives that are truer than others, and it's okay to put more weight into the account of a person who was the mo- who was traumatized by this. And I, I appreciate that on some on a very deep, profound level. I mean, I think the big problem with this movie, the thing that prevents it from being an out and about like beloved film by everyone. (laughs) I think what people are throwing at this movie is that we do have to sit through two pretty awful rape scenes. One of them is way worse than the other. And that's just like the, that's just how it kind of turns out. One of them is bad. Like it's just bad, but like the other one is even worse. And that's the point. It's sort of trying to tell you like, wow, you know, like you thought that was bad. This was bad. Like it's, it's doing all this stuff. It's painting how men see themselves sometimes, especially in these situations as like the hero of the story. And I kind of like was worried watching this movie, for example, that as I was watching it, it was going to do all of this moralizing and all of this preaching about trying to avoid these cliches of cinema to tell a story that's like, this stuff is bad and like we shouldn't be like celebrating this sort of thing only for it to end in a, an exciting visceral duel, you know, where it's just sort of like, all right, you just got this whole message. Now watch these two people fight each other. It's going to be super cool and awesome. And that's not this movie. And I think that is what makes this movie actually kind of a bit better than I was expecting um, because you kind of referenced it already. But the duel itself is brutal. It's ugly. Like, it's gross. And, like, you watch it. It kind of reminds me. It's it's some of the stuff that I liked about the early parts of, like, Game of Thrones. Before Game of Thrones just became another fantasy, you know, epic thing, it was actually about something. It was about, like, wow. Like, these people doing what they're doing for their own pride leads to this grotesque violence and that's what this movie ultimately does and i think that it it kind of nails it in that aspect but as i said before you have to sit through a lot to get to it and i don't think it's going to be worth it for everybody and 
it's a long movie. Like this movie feels long. It is long. And I I keep going back and forth. I'm like, was it all necessary? Like sometimes I'm kind of thinking to myself, did you need to show the rape scene from Adam driver's character's perspective? Like, could it have been a fade to black? Like I I'm kind of going, I'm bad war with myself on it because like, I do see what he's trying to say. I do see how he's sort of like framing these two scenes that are very similar in some details, but very different in others and sort of showing you like, this is why he's like trying to justify what he does and, and all this stuff. And then when you see her side of it, you're like, Oh my gosh. And so Again, I, I kind of find myself split where I'm a little bit more in favor of this movie, though, is like, man, I I watch this movie and I see these subtle things. And, and I know some people are going to disagree. Some, some people are going to say, like, it's not different enough. Like the, the subtle nuances between these three perspectives aren't big enough to justify doing it three times. Not to say that you see every scene repeated over and over again, but like you see some scenes repeated. And there are just like little details, little things of like how the camera will capture a different side of a person's body because that's who's being looked at at that time. And it actually sort of contributes to the story because you're like, oh, now I see the reaction of the person or actually I see the uh, the opposite of that. I see like the person themselves and how they think that they look during the situation. And yeah, there's, there's something kind of deep and interesting about that, but I don't know if I like this movie as much as you do. It's not, I don't know, but it, it sounds like you like this quite a bit. I'm kind of like going back and forth a little bit. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I like it quite a bit. Maybe I'm overselling how high I am on the film. I think it's a good film. Like I think it works. I, I think it's pretty like, like if we were to give grades, I think it's somewhere in like the B territory. I don't think it, it reaches a, level like it's like i said it's i not, gave it a b on rotten okay. tomatoes so yeah yeah i mean i think it's like in the like a solid b territory like probably uh like it's not like a top five really scott movie i'll even think it's maybe even a top 10 really scott movie but definitely like top 15 like just it does everything you expect from a really scott film i think it combines a lot of his themes from his other and you know recurring motifs and all that from those his other films but i agree that like i was kind of wondering considering that the movie Ops for the three different uh, chapters, why there wasn't more differentiation between the two narratives. I mean, obviously, like the big thorough line is that, like you said, like every character views themselves as the, the main character, of their own story for obvious reasons. But then like they, uh, you know, like they in the one scene you're talking about, like when we see Matt Damon's side of the story, he's the one that says like the 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 line that's I don't remember exactly what it is, but basically just like. I am, you know, the noble man here and I call for a truce. And then we see from Adam Driver's perspective, he's like, you know, he he says the actual thing and their lines are switched. And then you find out later that it's just like it was just some secondary guy that said, said all this. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, like stuff like that. I kind of want more of that to kind of justify the, uh, the, the three different perspectives here. Um, but at the same time, I also feel like there is something to be valued from Ridley Scott taking a pretty... Uh, thorough line to the execution allowing it to feel pretty fleshed out in terms of like you said the kind of more subtle nuances here that makes it uh, more investing including some of the oddities for instance i don't think we've really talked a lot about um ben affleck's performance which i think should be uh, noted upon because of how uh how much it, it feels uh 
different from I think anything he's done in this 21st century in terms of just being hammy in a deliberate yeah. sort of way. Like it's probably almost the most unrecognizable. Yeah, I mean, like when you see him in the wig and all that stuff, it's just kind of like, well, how how are they going to sell this? Yeah. Like you know, like <laughs> like I don't know. If, I don't know if it's far enough to justify. I, I sometimes hear like people when they see certain actors in period pieces, just like I don't buy that he doesn't know what a cell phone is. I was kind of worried that that would be the case for Ben Affleck, but I think he just knows that like he has the type of face that's so like modern that he just kind of like goes kind of hammy in a way that I don't think I've seen since fittingly enough, maybe Shakespeare in love when he was playing like the like kind of overzealous actor in that film. Like I think that it's probably the hammiest performance he has given in the past uh, few decades now. And, and feels like this is, you know, clearly him and supporting actor most who's so just like, Hey, I'm just going to play it up. Uh, you know, give himself some fun scenes, but you know, for the most part, just kind of doing his own weird sort of thing in a way that could have been really distracting and off putting. But I think he dials it to just the right pitch in a way that I find uh, pretty admirable as far as uh, this current uh, chapter in his career, he's doing some really wild, interesting stuff. I think. I think for me, like where this movie works best is really the first and third parts. Because it, and like I mentioned before, you start off with Matt Damon as this guy who, man, he thinks he's, just like the hero you know like against all odds he'll defeat the enemy and all this stuff he sees himself as this kind chivalrous you know chivalry like that's the big word for it with his wife played by Judy comer and when you get to her part of the story wow like you really see like how he comes across to her is so different and it rings true like, at least it did to me, like, you know, like little touches of like when he asks something of like, oh, are you OK? And like where he's actually standing when he says that, you know, yeah. he sees it as like he comes up to her and boldly and and politely yeah, like Prince Charming. Yeah. yeah, it's like embraces her. But in reality, he's like across the room, barely interested. It, it's like stuff like that where I'm just like, man, that is dialing the message home because the Adam Driver character, he sucks. He's evil. Like you watch it and you get it. You're not going to be like, man, what a nuance. No. To me, I think the linchpin of this is the Matt Damon character thinking he's one thing. And then I think with the Adam Driver character, it's more of like this guy will just not admit his problems. Like, he won't admit his flaws, he won't admit what he's done wrong, and all this stuff. There's this part of this movie where he's like, well, the, the lady who gave the customary protestations, you know? And, like, mm -hmm. by the way, that's, like, another thing. It's, like, the accents in this movie are really annoying. Like, I don't know what you thought of them, but I was very, I like, thought they're fine. I, uh, I think they're distracting. If they me. were dialed up even one or two notches more, I think it would have been bad. But I think Ridley Scott kept them on point. I don't know. I, I feel like he's yeah. trying to do this like weird cross between British accent and American accent. And I'm just are we like, talking it's nothing. Matt or are we talking Adam? Both. Okay. I thought Jodie Comer did the best job. Like, whereas like, well, I wasn't thinking about it. Well, she wasn't right. doing a British accent. She was just sort of yeah. doing like a sort of a dialect, but it wasn't like you couldn't pinpoint it. That was the issue. It's like you either couldn't pinpoint it or it would be like, too much one way or the other with i think damon and driver it's like they're american actors and i think that they're just sort of like doing uneven tinges of different countries <laughs> to their speech and it's not consistent that that was what was throwing me off well don't you think that kind of adds to like the themes of the film and all that because it's that all about suck? like there's <laughs> sorry no, well beyond that i just mean that like 
they the whole idea that this movie sort of weirdly like Green Knight is about like myth making and like their sense of pride and nobility and like how they feel like they have to present themselves in a certain way, not only for their sake or for the people's sake, but like for their own historical purposes, they feel like they have to be like this sort of idealized man and all this stuff, especially in a man's world and all that. And mm. like, you know, the fact that they're, they're kind of like playing into a certain image as actors in the same time, I feel like maybe undeliberately adds a meta context to that. Well, I forget where you landed on the green Knight. I'm glad you brought it up for me. The green Knight, like is much better than this movie. Like, I think that it's, it's the movie that has way more to stand on. And to what you're saying delivers all of that much for me, at least in a much more uh, profound fashion. Whereas this movie, you know, I, I think that it kind of, it gets the job done and it, it has some quirks about it that I think are very respectable and, and interesting. And it, it's certainly an award season kind of movie. Like you could do way worse, but I found myself not quite as enraptured by it. And I'm a little disappointed because I think that uh, I, I wish that this movie had really just swept me off my feet. I wish it was sweeping all critics off their feet. I mean, it's getting good reviews and everything, but I don't know. I I know that Matt Damon and Adam Driver are going to be fine. Really, Scott's going to be fine. But Jodie Comer, I mean, she just – everything I've seen her in has been so strong. I mean, even in a movie like Free Guy, which is, you know, it's like a summer – it's like just a cheesy brain, you know – yeah, she's the, highlight she's the highlight of that movie like that movie is kind of weird without her and i just hope that this like box office issue is not i i hope that free guy which was very successful box office wise overshadows all of that and i hope that she keeps getting great opportunities because she she is she earns it she deserves it yeah no you're here <laughs> <laughs> i guess we can agree on that um, I don't really have much else to add. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, it, it sounds like we're about the same place with this movie. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a sturdier film than I think you might be giving it credit, at least in my opinion. But uh, I do agree with you that I feel like there was an opportunity here to make a great film. And I think it ultimately is just more of a good one, but I, I do think what works here is, is solid and exceptional. And as we've been basically alluding to, we're kind of, at this interesting point where we're seeing how Hollywood is responding to the me too movement and incorporating sure. stories into that. And sometimes, you know, we get a movie like bombshell, which just sucks at that. And it's just like, you know, kind of just trying to ride the tide in a very obvious and clunky way. And then we have, um, you know, a movie like this or like promising Young woman. I think, uh, you know, I think is, or they're not without their flaws and there's a lot of uh, things to be parts from both those films in terms of what they do right and wrong. But I think they, they tackle it a little bit more cinematically and grandiose in their, their ideas, I guess. And I don't know if either is, I don't think we've gotten like, well, I guess you can argue the assistant is probably the, the best one we've gotten so far in terms say. of tackling the, the me too movement in a, in a film fashion, at least as far as I've seen. So it actually but, tackles it head on. It's not just dancing right. around it. I, well, I think uh, I think mm -hmm. promising a woman isn't dancing around anything. Oh, for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at least when you're making the compare, like for the critic making the comparison, I, I'm with you there. I, I think that look, these movies have a point of view, and I get frustrated when people are just sort of like, "This movie's preachy." It's like no, it's not preachy. It just it has a point of view that you don't connect with, and you know that's that. What are you gonna do? Uh, you can just move on if you want. With this movie, I think that's the case. And I don't think that this is like 
doing any sort of moralizing that rings as false or exploitative or just sort of like we're going to comment on this without reckoning with it. And I think that if there is one thing about this movie that is great, it is the duel itself. I think that entire sequence, it, I had been her chariot flashbacks, like the first time I saw that scene, you know, from Ben Hur. I mean, I, it's the kind of stuff that I, I can't remember the last time my heart was pounding the way it was during the actual duel. And it's not because I cared about these guys who forget them. Adam Driver, Matt Damon. Uh, I did not care about their livelihood because I won't give it away, but like the movie makes it clear that the real stakes are on Marguerite and like what happened, Marguerite being Judy Comer. I don't know if we ever said her name, but what happens to them affects her unfairly, but that is the reality of that situation presented in the movie and in the real life events, right? So watching that duel, I was like so conflicted. I was like, I was on the edge of my seat. Like I hate, it's a cliche, but it was true. Like you could see it. Like I was about to fall off and it's because I cared about her. It's like the empathy I had for this character, like that stuff is, it works. So if you're going to nail anything in this movie and it's going to be that, then not, you know what? That's, that, that's a lot. That's a lot accomplished by me. So yeah, I come out pretty favorable on last duel, but not, not overwhelmingly. So. Yeah. I mean, I think, as you mentioned, it's a long film, but I also think there's something to be admired about the fact that for the most part, this is a film about like litigations and courts and all that, but it's done a blockbustery way. And it's done, I think for the most part, in a fairly engaging and entertaining way as well. And I think that's not something to be outright dismissed. Like the fact that a movie like this is able to be so much about such nitty gritty things and able to be pretty, broadly accessible. I don't know. I think that's pretty commendable. And I think that's only something a filmmaker like Ridley Scott can really pull off in that respect. Yeah. Cause it's never about the nitty gritty. It's not about, you know, the land going to this person. It's about these men's sort of like inability to deal with these arbitrary things. Bruised egos more. Yeah, exactly. Like there is a deeper thing behind it and it's easy to recognize. Like Scott isn't just trying to like invent like stakes like just pull them out of nowhere in order to pull the story along. Yeah, he's not doing that. But anyway, we we talked a lot about the last duel, and I think that, that honestly, that is a testament I think to the movie itself because like I have been thinking a lot about this movie since I saw it. I have been sort of like going back and forth on a lot of different things, and that's a great sign. Like I, I genuinely am like conflicted on a lot of this movie. I understand why. Like I see people who love this movie. I see people who hate it. I see people who kind of like us and in between. But like. One thing is for sure, it's hard to watch this movie and not have an opinion. <laughs> like I think that's the case. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's a good film. I mean, that's my broad, you know, simple takeaway is I think it works. It's good. I don't think it's as good as it could have been, but I think it does its job. It does it well. And uh, I was satisfied. Big flop of a movie. It costs about oh, yeah. $100 million. And I, I, you can kind of, you see a lot of that money on screen. I mean, they, they brought these worlds to life. I mean, it's, it's a very well crafted film. And that said, I think the green Knight was able to accomplish a lot of that with a much lower budget. So what are you going to do about that? But yeah, man, $9 million worldwide. They were recording this after opening Oof. weekend. That is very bad. Not even, not even a 10th of the budget, not even a 10th. And yeah. you know, for context, like a movie that costs a hundred million dollars to make, it's got to make like two hundred million dollars 
to break even around that. Like that's that's at lowballing least, yeah. it. You that's that, that's to be in the black. Yeah, or at least like yeah. So nine million dollars out of about two hundred million. Yeah, this is going to be a big blow to twentieth century um, and Disney. But I'm sure they're kind of looking at this and not caring because it's probably going to be a big award season movie. So I imagine that despite its length, um, it's it might get a little bit of extra juice. But no, I, I think it's going to be in the red for sure. It might not be like extremely in the red forever, but who knows? Yeah, I just, um, I don't know. I'm more cynical about these things. Like I see how they just kind of threw a hidden life in the trash last year as far as their release schedule. Uh, they just kind of like dumped it in a way that that felt pretty disrespectful. And then similarly, I'm I'm really worried about French Dispatch because I feel like that's kind of kind of going in under the curtain as well. And they're just going to be like, well, people don't go out to see you know art, you know, movies from credited filmmakers. So just Free Guy Seven instead. And <laughs> you know, I just like I don't know. I just feel like this is their way of like you know kind of spiting uh, these. Uh, former Fox movies, but also just kind of being like, well, we don't have to spend a hundred million dollars on these adult prestige dramas because people don't show up when it's just like, well, you're the one that, you know, marketed it poorly, released it during a pandemic. Spent too much know, money. I mean, spent too much again, money on it. A24 yeah. is able to do this. And like, you know, Green Knight wasn't a bit box office phenomenon, but that's the thing. It didn't have to be, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I just... It's just more frustrating to me that, like, you know, I, I, that's why I want people to see this movie and support it because it's just like, sure, I, it doesn't make a difference. I think there's no way this becomes a, a profitable film unless, like, overseas it does phenomenally well or something. But uh, that's probably not likely at this point. Well, if you do want to see it, I yeah, I can't stress enough. Big trigger warning for this movie for sure. If you are somebody who finds yourself, you know, certainly, you know. If you find it to be a difficulty to sit through oh, yeah. graphic violence, sexual violence, right. uh, for whatever reason, then yeah, this is a tough movie to watch. So we gotta we gotta make that clear. I hope we have. And you know, otherwise, you know, you're gonna get a movie here that is deep, nuanced, layered, great world building, great mythology, great just really great craftsmanship. I mean, it's Ridley Scott. I mean, you watch this movie and you're getting you're in the dirt with these guys. Like you're you're immersed. Like that's that's the mm -hmm. big big benefit you're going to get from this movie that if that is what you are looking for so yeah yeah that's the last duel uh yeah it is 153 minutes long but how is it doing with critics so we kind of already covered the box office which it's not great but well Ashton, what do you think the tomato score is what do you think it is on what do you what score do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes. 185 reviews have been counted. One of them's mine. So that gives you a little bit of something. I'm going to say 83%. Once again, you're within five points. Or oh. within, sorry, I keep saying five. You're within four points, just like last time. 87%, so a little higher. So it's an 87, which is very high. It's certified fresh. Yeah, and that's, that's what makes me think that it's going to get awards buzz. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I think for a movie of this scale with that high of a score, I think it's a good chance, but you know, uh, all right. Audience score what about that. Uh, 76%. So you guess 76%. It is 79%. So closer. Yeah. Within three points. Right. Not bad. 500 plus verified 
rating. So it's lower than the Rotten Tomato score. But it, yeah, it sounds like you kind of are like, yeah, maybe not everybody's, you know, the audience is probably aren't loving this as much as the critics. That was your mm-hmm. assumption? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. I'm going to guess Cinema Score is a B minus. It's a B plus, which is oh, what wow. I thought right. Halloween Kills would be. But no, B plus for the Cinema maybe Score. They, that's uh, higher than I thought. Yeah. Maybe they flipped the uh, report card and they, they reported <laughs> yeah. the wrong scores. <laughs> that would make sense. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to subscribe to Cinemaholics on your favorite podcast app of choice or find us on YouTube. See you all next time.